Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Later today, barring some disaster or divine intervention, and this is the Tour de France after all, Jonas Vingegaard will take the top step of the podium in Paris after one of the hardest and most exciting tours in memory. His teammate, uh, Wout van Aert, will be wearing the green jersey down the Champs-Élysées after one of the most spectacular race performances in recent memory. And don't worry that your life will be empty without your daily tour fix, though today also sees the start of the first women's Tour de France in more than 30 years, also beginning on the Champs-Élysées. There's still time to subscribe to Rouleur magazine and get your copy of Issue 112, which is the double issue with stories about the men's and women's tours and we'll be bringing you extra updates from the Tour de France fam in the next week. Rulers James Start and Rachel Jarry are both in Paris. Uh, James, this has been the tour we've been waiting for for years, hasn't it? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, there was the 2019 tour with Alain Philippe and that's what we said then. I mean, we've had a lot of great tours. Uh, 2011 with Cadell and the battle, uh, just getting the jersey last day. I mean, if you look back over it, um, there's been, I mean, you know, obviously it depends how you define that, but I define a great tour by a tour of suspense and high action and drama on a regular basis. And this is obviously one of them, but we've had actually, when you go back over the last, uh, 10 years or so, we've had three or four. We kept waiting for that really big, for the race to blow apart and it never did, did it? It blew apart when Vingergaard blew it apart. I mean, you know, actually, I mean, the first 10 days or so, we thought we were going to uh, Pogachar and take three, and he was waltzing all over this race. He looked unbeatable. And then, you know, there was that just amazing stage. Yeah, please have to uh, excuse the French sirens here. There was that amazing stage um, up the Glandon, uh, uh, the Granon, excuse me, and, you know, where they, they just dismantled the two-time defending champion. I mean, that was just high drama. So Vingegaard was a favorite, but he was not like the overwhelming, you know, Pogachar was clearly the overwhelming favorite. And we, you know, Vingegaard, we had yet to understand if he could actually, would even be the team leader within his own team, let alone uh, the yellow jersey. And he's uh, proved to be more than uh, capable in both. Rachel, what's been your big impression over the last three weeks? Probably just I love cycling. Like, it's been so good. Like, I've been glued to my TV for three weeks, which I must say, like, I don't don't remember a tour that I've watched where I've kind of thought, like, I need to watch this from the neutral. They've been racing, like, from flag drop every single day, which, 
you know, I, I've just never seen before. And I think it's really signified a kind of change in the racing. There's just not been these kind of long days where they're cruising along till there's like a bunch sprint. They've just been full, full, full gas. And um, yeah, it's been really good to watch. Like I, I guess the sprinters might not be quite so happy that they haven't had those kind of soft days where then they can sprint at the end. But as a fan, like... I'm not going to miss those kind of like days where they cruise along kind of through the French countryside personally. Yeah, James, uh, there's a lot of talk about this sort of signalling a new era in the Tour de France as someone who's covered more than 30 of them. Do you think that's true? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think in some ways. Uh, But, you know, we've kind of been saying that for a couple of years now. I mean, you know, and Egan Bernal, one, we're like, oh, it's the dawning of a new era. And then that lasted about a year. And then Pogachar and now Vingegaard and, and who knows who knows I mean one thing is as as Rachel mentioned you know the intensity of the racing is so high it makes a great spectator sport obviously it makes for a great race but uh, I'm starting to question um, if you know how long these guys can maintain at that level are we going to see another five-time winner of the Tour de France we already seen how the sprinters in the last year or so have struggled you know we always used to have one sprinter who comes in wins three four five stages we were struggling to find that this year you know and no no sprinter or sprint team is dominating and maybe in the uh, fight for the yellow jersey we're going to see the same thing i mean maybe these guys their 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 span at the top is only going to be two or three years instead of five or six or seven who knows i mean the the verdict is still out really but we are definitely um seeing uh, you know the, an, a young inspiring an inspired generation at the forefront now. Yeah, and I guess it hasn't even just been the young the young riders as well. Like we saw Garrett Thomas still coming in third, which I think he'll be really happy with. I mean, I know he was a way off um Vingegaard and Podjakar, but um he still is still putting like a really good tour, really solid and consistent and his TT yesterday was really impressive. So I don't think it's is necessarily just the young riders either making this race exciting. Like we've seen teams like Israel, who have obviously got quite an old average age in their team, winning stages, and um, people like who maybe you wouldn't expect are actually reacting better to this aggressive racing, which I think is really exciting. Let's talk about uh, Wout van Aert, shall we? Because uh, for many people, he was he's been one of the stars of this tour, uh, just because he was racing and challenging almost every kilometer since. Denmark. Yeah, he was uh, something uh, we've never really seen before. I think Lance Lance Armstrong called him uh, uh, the greatest bicycle racer today, pound for pound, and I think that's a pretty good, um, a pretty good, a, a pretty good description. And yet, you know, you start. We're obviously starting to hear talk about well, could Woot um, actually go for the yellow? And who knows? I mean, on paper, historically, no. There, we, you would never even have that discussion. But when you see a guy that at the end of three weeks goes on the attack kilometer zero on a Pyrenees mountain stage. And then when his teammate catches him on the final climb, drives a pace so hard on the steepest pitches of the Hodakam that his primary challenger and the two-time defending challenge, uh, winner pops. That, you know, he, usually a guy like that could go really hard on, say, the next to the last climb or early on the last climb, but not two or three K from the finish if you can do that maybe you can go to the finish maybe you can maybe you can be a a a gc contender i would still say no i wouldn't if i was advising him i would not put my eggs in that basket i mean 
that was simply one, that was still one day where he was at the at the at driving the pace at the end of a of a of a major climb. Could he do that day in and day out? I don't know. I still think that Wu Van is a little bit big for the high mountains day in and day out. But what he has done is just outstanding. Yeah, and I think as well. Normally, when you get a rider like him who starts winning everywhere, you kind of start almost dreading them winning but because of the way he races because he's so attacking and he makes it so exciting it's like you still will him on you don't kind of get that thing where it's like oh it's Van Aert again and yesterday after the time trial you know this is a guy who's won what was that his third stage win in this year's race and he's like he was crying because Vingegaard got yellow I mean what it was just a really nice moment I think showed what like a, a great teammate is off the bike as well um, and that's why he, he's really quite likable he's not he hasn't become one of these super talents where you, you sort of roll your eyes when he when he wins well not for me anyway he could actually win today, couldn't he? But by the time uh, a lot he of did last yeah, year, he, by the time a lot of people listen to this, uh, we may know the answer to that. But there's no reason he couldn't win on the Champs Elysees. Yeah, he beat a certain Mark Cavendish a year ago on the Champs, depriving him of, of a bigger a bigger page in the history books. So yeah, he's going to be there. There, you know, there are a lot of sprinters that haven't won yet that have been struggling to make it uh, to Paris. Uh, Miguel Indurain once told me, I asked him, Who, "Who's the, the cyclist, you, cyclist you respect the most?" And he said, sprinters. I said, really? He said, they suffer so hard to make those time cuts in the mountains just to have another chance to, to, to win on the flats or in Paris. He said, I have so much, you know, and then they can go so fast and so so hard for such a short period of time. But he said, I have so much respect for them for the amount of suffering that they endure when we're all hammering up the road, you know. Um, so yeah. there's a lot of hungry people. It's going to be really interesting. I don't know. Rachel, who's your pick today? Um, I think Jakobsen, like I, I was listening to like an uh, interview with him and he was saying that his teammates were saying to him when, on that stage where he just made the time cut within like 16 seconds, his sprint, his uh, teammates were saying to him, you know, do today, you'll win, you'll win on Sunday, you'll win on Sunday. So, I mean, he he wouldn't have suffered through all of that for nothing. And also, I guess, slightly different to Wout Van Aert. I know it didn't make a difference last year, but the sprinters had a kind of recovery day yesterday. They wouldn't have been had to go like full gas in the ITT, whereas Van Aert clearly did but you know he's he's pretty superhuman so I'm not counting by not out but I, I would like to see Jakobsen win I think. Um, any other standout riders? Well obviously Hugo Hull's ride was just so so memorable and so so I mean I've known Hugo since he turned pro and you know nobody I don't know if anybody thought he'd still be a pro today let alone a Tour de France stage winner and such a nice guy and obviously such a hard worker and he's developed into a very solid rider. Um, so that was just a really, you know, I was watching actually, you know, since I, I had got COVID and was able, actually able to watch that last week of the race, I was able to watch that and it was just a really heartwarming, uh, victory. I thought. Yeah. I think Christophe Laporte, uh, winning on stage 19 was pretty, pretty incredible. Like that's the kind of sprint I'll remember for a long time. And though I was a bit heartbroken for Fred Wright and the rest of the break who got, you know, taken in with like 200 meters to go. But Laporte, I mean, that was just showed like pure racing instinct. You know, he just went, he saw his opportunity, he went for it. And that was just like old school, like pure bike racing. And that was super exciting. And I thought that just signifies what a strong team Jumbo Visma is and how they've like made, they basically dominated this Tour de France really, and especially in the second half. I don't actually, I think that was the stage that, that displayed just how dominant they are because they had several cars to play. They, you know, they could, you know, Wu Van Aert could have won that stage and he clearly sacrificed himself. And then they obviously had a game plan not to wait for the sprint because Laporte is not the fastest sprinter in that pack. So they had this game plan to launch him at like 800 meters. I mean, 
that doesn't work very often. And they had the confidence to to sacrifice Van Art and to and to throw that down in the last kilometer. And when you look at, it, I mean, I was looking at Peter Sagan, were tremendous. He was always so well placed. And then they just splintered the race in the last two k. Just they wound it up so hard. There was barely any room left for a sprint. So, I mean, they they obviously um, knew what they were doing, and 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 it was just a real display of just how strong and confident and dominant they are this year. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll talk about the women's tour. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinnow, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. You can get more out of your rides this summer. The Hammerhead Karoo 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available with industry-leading mapping, navigation and routing capabilities. Free global maps with points of interest like cafe stops and campsites mean you can explore with confidence and on-the-go flexibility. Seamlessly and wirelessly import routes from Strava, Komoot and more. Change or reroute on the fly with turn-by-turn directions and upcoming climbs and descents, all in clear colour. For a limited time, Ruler listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code RULERPOD at checkout. This is Ruler Conversations with Ian Parkinson, James Start, and Rachel Jarry. James and Rachel are in Paris, where the uh, Tour de France Femme avec Zwift, as we will no doubt all be calling it, um, starts today. Uh, Rachel, it's obviously going to be eight days of bike racing, but uh, in many ways it's more than that, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a, a big moment for women's cycling, and it's something that a lot of people within the sport have pushed for for a long time of course it's not the first ever women's tour de france and i think it's important to remember that and give credit to the women who rode it i think it was in like the 80s um because they they're a big part of you know proving that that women can absolutely race race the tour de france and it's not it's not three weeks but from the consensus i get is that the women's peloton doesn't really want that yet and isn't isn't quite ready for a three-week race and eight days is a perfect place to start and the route is is so exciting like it's got punchy stages. It's got no lot of sort of respite where we're going to be kind of twiddling our thumbs, waiting for something to happen. Um, it's really well designed. It's got a gravel stage in the middle and then it's kind of backloaded with two mountain stages, which should mean that the GC kind of comes to a crescendo on the final two stages and it isn't decided till right at the end of the race, which I think is the is the best way to do it. Like if they'd have put a big mountain stage in earlier on, then we might have seen someone like Annemiek van Vluten riding away and the GC would kind of be sewn up. But because of where the big hills are, it's not going to be like that. And um, 
I think it should be so exciting, especially towards the end of the week. Yeah, Annemiek uh, van Vleuten won the uh, Women's Giro d'Italia, and she's obviously a favourite, but, but there are lots of challenges to her, aren't there? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's a sign of how, how much the women's peloton has grown. And at the um, Giro, uh, Annemiek van Vleuten couldn't drop Mavi Garcia on a lot of the high mountains, who's a Spanish rider for Team UAE. And I don't think we're going to see that kind of dominating performance from her that we've seen in the past. There's teams like SD Works, you have Demi Vollering, who've got a real interest in the overall in this race. Um, there's there's FDJ, who've got about three different leaders they could they could go for. Um, and Annemiek van Vleuten, she's also got sprinters like Emma Norsgaard in her team. They're not fully dedicated to riding for her for the GC. She hasn't got many people who will be with her in the hilly mountains. So... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be really difficult for her. And if other teams can isolate her at, at crunch time, then, yeah, there's every chance she won't win. And we saw at the Giro, she was struggling a little bit on some of the descents. She crashed once and she's ner- she's nervous about the descents that we're going to see in the tour. So, yeah, I think there's lots of opportunities where teams can attack her. Um, and it's it's definitely not going to be a walk in the park. And she's not going to she's not just going to walk away with the yellow jersey. That's for sure. I had a question for Rachel. Um just um rachel i you know i was in in men's racing the giro tour double now has become almost unimaginable um obviously the lengths aren't the same but you know the giro done was what still 10 days and it was actually pretty close in the calendar year do you think that's gonna play a role for the the gc favorites in terms of fatigue those who were battling it for there do you think they had enough time to recover i think it'll be interesting like the giro was really hard and because of where it falls in the calendar it's so hot in italy at that point and that's why they obviously don't have the men's giro at this time of year because they were racing in over 40 degrees every day which has a real impact on you know your immune system your health um it's really tiring so I, I don't know. We'll see. They had 10 days to recover in between. And I guess the men can race for three weeks straight. So there's no reason why physically they shouldn't be able to come back and perform in the tour. But I mean, Van Vluten was racing hard there for eight days. Like you said, Demi Vollering hasn't raced since the Dutch National Championship. She didn't. She chose to skip it and train at altitude. So it's like radically different approaches to this race for a lot of the GC riders. And it's just going to be a test to see what pays off. And I guess... I think there is talk of moving the Giro to a different time of year because another problem with it is that it just completely got swamped by all the media um, around the Tour de France. Like it was really hard to get any coverage from it just because of where it fell. So I think there's a definitely a, maybe a gap somewhere better on the calendar for that race where it can get the coverage it deserves because it is super exciting. But the Tour de France is the biggest race in the world. And if you have a women's race on at the same time as that, it is going to be hard to get it the coverage that it deserves. So, yeah, definitely something to consider, I think, for the organisers, if, if that's really the right time for the Giro. James, was the uh, original women's Tour de France, was that during your time? Uh, actually, no, I'm not quite that old. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I guess on paper I I, um, I could be, but um, I was reading about it. I was getting just getting into bicycle racing. Uh, it was in the mid '80s. It started really. Um, I think '84. I think was the first one. Um, and I mean, they actually had you know it was they would have the women's stage the same day. You know, maybe a different start, but they would finish on the same start lines. Which you know, I've always said, bring on the women's tour and get rid of the publicity caravan, which for me is just sort of horrendous and dangerous and noise polluting and all these things. I'd much rather have uh, the women's the women finish an hour or two earlier and, and have two great bike races on the same day. But um, that's just my little dream. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, it went for uh, a couple years uh, simultaneously and then they 
played around with the calendar year and then they and then ASO then actually sold it. Um, and and you know the, the race actually went into well into the 90s, I think even into close to 2000, maybe I can't remember exactly, but with different owners with obviously not the power of ASO and the Tour de France behind it, which is what's making the difference here. Uh, clearly, I mean, um, we're, you know, so much is being made of this and, and, and it's tremendous, but, you know, it's interesting because the Tour de France was the, you know, why is it so great? It was the first grand tour, right? And the Giro came on after that. And it's always been kind of in the shadows. Well, here, you know, the, the, the Giro d'Italia organization got way out ahead with the Giro Doni. And, and, but I still sense that once the tour finally gets, gets their act together, like they're doing now, they're going to just do it so big. And with the power of the Tour de France behind it, that it's instantly going to um, be the top dog. And, you know, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to really resonate. I mean, just saw how, you know, when they finally put together that, that women's Roubaix race, people just like, why didn't anybody think about this before? You know, it was such an instant winner. And I think this year's tour will, uh, fam will be as well. I'm in Paris now and the amount of journalists here just for the women's race is like something like I've never seen it before. And I'm just so excited that, you know, I think like the New York Times is here. Like there's there's huge like media outlets here to cover the women's race, which, which they completely deserve, you know, and it's wor- it's going to be worth those uh, journalists time because I really expect some super exciting and dynamic racing. So, yeah, I think it is bigger than anything we've seen before for women's cycling. And it really has the potential to kind of open the sport up to like a whole new audience who maybe wouldn't watch it before. But there's this there's always this lull after the men's tour finishes and people have that withdrawal symptoms, missing watching racing every day. And now there's eight more days to come. And if you're a fan of bike racing, there's really no reason why you wouldn't watch the women's. I live in the city and, you know, I, and I can just see around the streets how they're building up for it. I mean, billboards all over the place not celebrating the finish of the men's tour, but the women's tour. And it starts today with effectively a sprint stage on the Champs-Élysées, doesn't it? And which is, which is a great way of starting uh, the race. Um, who would you say would be today's favourite, Rachel? I think Lorena Weavers is like the standout favourite. I mean, she won uh, all the sprint stages at the women's tour a few months ago. She's literally unbeatable when she has that turn of speed. And her team, DSM, have a really amazing lead-out train, which they have got drilled to perfection. There's actually a piece about it in the next issue of Ruler, so watch out for that. But, um, yeah, they're, they're fantastic. But the thing is about the Champs-Élysées, I mean, I, I've never been here in real life, and I walked a bit of it to, uh, yesterday, and it is cobbled, and it's slightly uphill, and it's not it's not necessarily just a straightforward sprint stage. So there is riders like Lotte Capecchi and slightly more punchy sprinters who maybe we just would run away with it on a completely flat tarmac maybe slight slightly downhill piece of road but this isn't a straightforward sprint and because the stakes are so high like it's the first ever chance for them to win the yellow jersey I expect so many teams will be gunning for it that it's definitely not going to be easy for her to run away with it um so yeah we'll have to see have to see how it goes but it's not going to be a straightforward race and they've also put a category four um climb at the end of the champs towards the end of the race after 60k of the 81k race so 
that's the chance for somebody to get in the uh, polka dot jerseys for the following stage. So that's going to be a massive fight for that intermediate sprint. And coming so close to the finish, there's a risk of attacks going, there's a risk of breakaways going. We've got smaller teams in the women's peloton as well. So there isn't as much manpower to kind of, or woman power, should I say, to chase, um, to chase the breaks down as there is in the men's uh, peloton. So yeah, it's a bit of an unknown and I wouldn't be feeling like super confident if I was Weavis because, yeah, like I say, the stakes are higher than ever before and there's so many teams gunning for this stage that um, it's going to be such a tight fight, I think. I would just like to add that um, the, the Champs-Élysées has lots of cobbles and it's vibration all up and down. So uh, somebody with good cobble experience, maybe Elisa um, or uh, Loti Quebec, as you said, I think uh, might have a little bit... Um, something up their sleeves uh, as we run into the, on the final lap, what is it, 10 laps uh, up and down? Uh, the show after they start from the Eiffel Tower, I think. Um, so maybe that'll be a surprise. Also, don't underestimate that long false flat up to the Arc de Triomphe. And they're doing that 10 times, and it's, it, w- it will wear on your legs and it will wear, wear on the freshness of a sprinter's legs. So we'll see. That's it from this Rulo Conversations. Thank you, James. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, we'll be back with a Tour de France fam update later this week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.